Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. We're in the middle of our series on teaching and instilling a worldview into the hearts and minds of your children. The worldview is something that we all have. Unfortunately, many are unconscious about the worldview they may have simply digested from the media, from their education, from friends, whatever. But we've gone through three questions so far that are the fundamental, what I call, who am I questions. Where do I come from? Where am I going? and why am I here? And today we transition into the category of how do I know questions? And this question, question number four in our worldview series, what is truth? And I can't help but remember Pontius Pilate's famous question to Jesus that we read about in John chapter 18, where Pilate simply asked Jesus, what is truth? Now, there's two ways to answer the what is truth question. The first would be digging into the philosophical and theological background to answer this question. And to be perfectly honest, uh, I did quite a bit of preparation for this radio show to do just that. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm ditching it all. Here's why. The purpose of this series isn't to educate philosophers, but to educate parents. And I want to give parents something that will be useful, say if they have a, a teenager or a grade school child at home and, and they want to teach them a worldview. So today, I'm giving you the, the very advice of what I would do with my own children and my grandchildren to try to teach them a worldview. And particularly, we're talking about the question, what is truth? And I realize that many of the discussions you'll hear on Catholic media will go quite quickly into the theological, philosophical direction. And honestly, I was going there for several days of preparation to do just that. But I'm going to share with you a little something different from what you usually hear. If we want to learn truth, we have basically three streams that, that can come. Natural revelation, observing what God has made in nature and using our reason to perceive that there's a creator. There's sacred scripture, and then there's also sacred tradition, and it's particularly helpful to have sacred tradition when we go to scripture to make sure we don't go off the tracks in our interpretation. But let's start with natural revelation. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 19, St. Saint Paul says this, For what can be known about God is plain. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Don't underestimate the power of, of the universe which God has made. You know, one of the most remarkable teachers of worldview in the 20th century was a college professor by the name of John Senior. 
And at a secular university in Kansas, along with his colleagues, in the midst of the 1960s counterculture chaos, John Sr. was able to change the lives of scores of students in the most radical way by teaching them a Christian worldview. Specifically, Sr. followed what's called the realist tradition of St. Thomas. Now, don't don't get worried here. I'm not falling off the uh, getting too philosophical uh, bandwagon here. It's simply this. The realist tradition says that you need to experience the natural world in order to know God. If you want to know truth, you're going to have to know a lot about God. But Senior knew that the path to get there was experiencing the natural world. There's a book, if you want to really dig into this, it's called John Senior and the Restoration of Realism by Father Francis Bethel, and it's available through Amazon and other big book stores. But here's what Senior emphasized, and I'm going to quote, the first necessity is getting ourselves and our children in naked contact with the world God made, not just in school as study, but habitually in our whole way of life. I'm going to just say that again because many of the ways to try to teach children to know God totally ignore this. Senior was right on track. He was able to build a Christian worldview into the hearts and minds of college students during the 1960s. And you might say, well, I have a 14-year-old at home, and this looks like an uphill challenge. I realize that, so let's go to what really works in the toughest of situations, and it's this. The first necessity is getting ourselves and our children in naked contact with the world God made, not just in school as study, but habitually in our whole way of life. You know, if you're really radical, you might even consider like where you live. And I'm not saying you have to maybe move out to the very remote mountains of Montana, although that sounds pretty nice to me. But let's say you're choosing uh, two between two homes, you're moving to a new community. Home A is a nice home on a nice street. Home B is a nice home on a nice street, but it happens to have about 30 acres of just woodlands behind that home. If you're following John Sr. and wanting to get your children in naked contact with the world God has made, that may influence where you live. It may influence where you vacation. You know, there's plenty of places with lots of concrete and plastic everything, but that's not going to help children know God as much as getting in naked contact with the world God has made. There's a book that I have read in the last few years entitled Last Child in the Woods, Saving Our Children from Nature Deficit Disorder. And it's loaded with statistics, but here's the, here's the takeaway point. Between 1997 and 2003, there was a 50% decline in the time children aged 9 to 12 spend in outdoor activities. Now, again, 
You're not generally hearing this as a path to know God. But obviously, young people, Protestant and Catholic, are straying left and right when they're hitting the latter teen years, the young adult years. How do you root them in truth? Well, the first step is to get them in direct contact with the world God has made. But if we're experiencing a 50% decline, and, and those studies ended in 2003, I dare say it's plunged even more since then because there's more electronic gadgets that basically have hypnotized young people and their parents. So you want to get them outside. And if you want to get them outside, one of the things to do, a parent, is to get yourself outside. Go watch sunsets. Go hike a mountain. And here's one. Get a microscope. I bought microscopes for a bunch of my grandchildren. They're only like 10 bucks, and they can go collect stuff in the backyard and then put them under this magnification and see all kinds of fascinating things on the micro level from what God has made. You might also get them a telescope. Why is that? Well, the psalmist says in Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night declares knowledge. You see, God's world is speaking. It's an overwhelming message. I know living on the west coast of Florida, you just don't find any prettier sunsets. And I thought several times, how can you be an atheist and live on the west coast of Florida or go to the mountains of western Carolinas or go to the Rockies and just see those beautiful vistas that open up before you? This is God's speech. The psalm says there is no speech nor are there words where their voice is not heard. This is a universal language, and it's almost universally ignored as a way to have a reliable stepping stone to know God. And you know what? These things aren't hyper expensive compared to so many things. You can get a national park pass, a state park pass, and there's all kinds of beautiful places to go, and it costs you very little. And you know, in the process of knowing that, you'll determine that maybe contrary to what some people have told you, that Darwin was dead wrong. God did make all things. This just didn't happen by chance. And, you know, reflecting on this, a child or a young person might think, well, you know, if God made all this, he just might have made me. And that's question number one in our worldview series. Where do I come from? So don't neglect the natural world that God has made. Now, along with natural revelation, and again, I'm not trying to cover a philosophy course or a theology course. I'm trying to equip parents to get a worldview into the hearts and minds of their children. So I'm not feeling a compulsion to cover all the bases. But from natural revelation, we want to go to divine revelation. And particularly, we're going to talk about sacred scripture and sacred tradition, but I'm, I'm really focusing on sacred scripture today. Let's go back to Pontius Pilate when he said to Jesus, what is truth? And you don't need a five-inch textbook 
to tell you the answer to that question because the irony of the answer to that question, it was literally, literally staring him in the face. And hear this, because a lot of philosophers miss this. A lot of Christian philosophers miss this. Truth at its utter core is not an abstract concept. It is a person. The answer to Pontius Pilate's question, what is truth, was standing directly in front of him. Jesus Christ is a living person, and he is truth incarnate. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the truth. And now you're going to go from a worldview comprehension, but you need faith. And listen to what Pope Benedict XVI said at the 26th World Youth Day. The Christian faith is not only a matter of believing that certain things are true, religious facts, but above all, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is literally the truth, a personal relationship with Christ is a personal relationship with the truth. This is not an abstract relationship with the truth. This is a living relationship with the truth. I'm getting excited here. Pope Benedict goes on, and he told the young people, it is an encounter with the Son of God that gives new energy to our whole existence. This is how we are transformed and changed. When we enter into a personal relationship with him, Christ reveals our true identity, and in friendship with him, our life grows to complete fulfillment. Faith is, first of all, a personal adherence to God. Okay, so what we are talking about is a real, absolutely, utterly real encounter with God in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Now, okay, uh, how do I go about that? Well, uh, Jesus didn't leave any mysteries how to do that. He said in the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 31, Jesus said, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus also said, again, Gospel of John. We're in the Gospel of John, it seems, today. John 17 and verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And then Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is what's called a Torah psalm, extolling the Torah, the word of God. And it says in verse 160, the sum of thy word is truth. And that Psalm 119 verse 160 is cited in the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 215. Now, I'm going to recommend something for you 
and your kids. And I emphasize, first of all, you, because, but you, I'm talking about mom and dad, if you want your kids to do something, a really good strategy is to do it yourself. In other words, be a good example. I was reminded, and back when my kids were very little, uh, somebody had a splinter in their foot. And so I poured some warm water and salts in a bucket and tried to get that foot placed in the bucket. And they were scared and started crying and everything else. And all these other kids, my children, were watching. So I said, look, I took off my shoe and my sock and stuck my foot in there. Well, not only did the one with the splinter in the foot stick her foot in the bucket, but a whole bunch of other kids, too. We had trouble keeping everybody out of the bucket. And I was recently over with my grandson. He had a a little piece of glass in his toe, a little sliver of glass. Same deal. Just took off my shoe and socks, stuck my foot in the bucket, and, you know, within a minute or so, his foot was in the bucket. So if you want your children to do what I'm going to recommend— Because we're talking about, along with natural revelation, divine revelation, and Jesus is telling us that if we continue in his word, we are going to be encountering truth. And by encountering truth, we are going to become his disciples. We're going to encounter him. This isn't a theology class. This isn't a philosophy class. This is an encounter with the living God. That's our goal as both parents and for our children. So what do I recommend for your children? It's something very specific. And again, this is something that just I've discovered by uh, basically trial and error and experience at a number of Catholic conferences. I would recommend you get copies for your family of the New Testament and Psalms, and the specific version is the RSVCE, and that means the Revised Standard Version, the Catholic Edition, and it's published by Ignatius Press. You're going to go to your Catholic bookstore, and there's about an 85 to 90 percent chance it's not there, and they're going to suggest something else. I recommend the New Testament and Psalms. Particularly, you want to get your children in the Gospels to encounter literally the words of Jesus, Um, and also you want to have a translation that can be memorized, a translation that is understandable, and not all Catholic translations are up to speed, quite honestly. Uh, Some are somewhat deficient as far as their ability to communicate. So you want the RSVCE, Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition, New Testament and Psalms. It's published by Ignatius Press, and if you go online to buy it, it'll say pocket leather bound, and it'll have a blue cover. Get one for yourself. Remember how to get the foot with a splinter in the bucket. You go first. And make sure you have, at minimum, at least four encounters a week with that New Testament. Okay, at least four a week. Uh, Less than that, you're not going to be really having a life with that scripture because there's a lot of things in our world sending other messages, and that's okay. That can be overcome provided there's something stronger inside. Once a month or once a week or twice a week isn't going to do it. You want to make it more of a daily habit. Now, if you're going to do that, 
This probably will not last very long if you don't do this other step that goes right along with reading that New Testament and Psalms. And, and it's this. You really want to pray before you read those scriptures. This is from section 108 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says this, if the scriptures are not to remain a dead letter, Christ, the eternal word of the living God, must through the Holy Spirit open our minds to understand the scriptures, unquote. In other words, this could be perhaps the most boring book in the world if you simply approach it like you would the newspaper. Um, you, may need, you might need to pray before you read a newspaper nowadays with all the fake news, but in any case, that's, that's a, a off point. You want to pray before reading, and it could be the simplest prayer, and the best prayer is the one that's an honest, from-the-heart prayer, such as something like, Lord, open my eyes to know you better, to know you more, open my eyes to know and love you, something like that. Um, Lord, I want to know you, help me understand these scriptures, whatever it is, just a heart, simple heartfelt prayer. But it's very important because as the catechism says, the scriptures can easily remain a dead letter apart from the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or simply ask Jesus, send me your Holy Spirit to understand the Bible and then open it up, spend a few quiet moments, and you basically are seeking to encounter the living truth, okay? And this is something, particularly if you have younger children, money and honey. Uh, and I'm talking about memorizing scriptures. Many of you know my friend Steve Ray. I just wrote Steve yesterday, and I said, Steve, did your parents ever offer you money for scripture verses you memorize? And Steve wrote me back, yep, it was 50 cents a verse. And like if you were doing John 3.16, you had to know the book, chapter, and verse along with the words within that verse. So in other words, you would say John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believes in him should have everlasting life, John 3.16. So you say the book, chapter, and verse twice. And, you know, that was a while ago, so and this might sound like an enormous amount of money, but, you know, a buck a verse. But Steve told me he's so grateful to his mother, who gave him those 50 cents to memorize a whole bank of verses. We both agreed we're too old to do good memory work now, but children can do this so well. And listen to Psalm 19 and verse 9, the I call the money and honey verse, the ordinances of the Lord are true. This is what we're pursuing, truth. More to be desired are they than gold, that's the money, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So in addition to a small financial reward, uh, what we used to do around our table, if the children would memorize a verse and they could recite it for me, 
Skittles are good. Just a couple of Skittles per verse, something like that. You know, the Hebrew children, when they were learning their alphabet, because they wanted to learn the alphabet to learn how to read God's word, they would take a little flour and a little honey and mix it together and make the Hebrew letter. And if they got it right, they could lick it off of their little writing board. The idea is it's sweet to the soul. It's a good thing to come to know truth. And doing that, we're coming to know God. One last pretty important tip is that you want to keep your kids away from well-intentioned doubters and destroyers of the faith. There's a lot of well-intentioned people running around who are, and I'm talking about religious instructors. I'm talking about people in the Catholic media who will get on and tell you that God didn't really make the world at some kind of uh, religious baptized twist on Darwinism, or that the Bible contains myths, or like Moses didn't write the first five books of the Bible, and gee, even Jesus was kind of mistaken on that. No, he did. But you'll hear them refer to, say, Genesis, the author, as the sacred author. Well, why don't they just say Moses? Well, because in seminary they were taught to doubt. You don't want religious doubters teaching your children or people who always say the gospel writer. Why don't you say Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and get right to the point? Because a lot of people doubt if Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John wrote the four gospels over their name. There are not errors in the Bible. The Catechism, section 107, you notice I already quoted 108, Catechism 107, the inspired books teach the truth. Teach the truth. We must acknowledge that the books of Scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error teach that truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, which to see confided to the sacred Scriptures. And unfortunately, I would dare say the significant majority of Catholic seminaries are not teaching this to seminarians today. There's a number of religious educators who have fallen into the trap that we've got errors in the Bible. For instance, UCAT quotes this wonderful section from the Catechism of the Catholic Church 107 that the scriptures are without error, and yet they say, how can the scripture, the truth, be the truth if not everything in it is right? And they say the authors of the scriptures were children of their time, and they shared the cultural ideas and its errors. <laughs> you got to be careful, mom and dad. Keep the doubters away. Keep the scriptures front and center in your life, in your children's life, and don't forget to get outside. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 200 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.